Hello, welcome to Solomon's Temple. This episode, we're covering social ethics from a book, Morality and Social Policy by Thomas A. Maps and Jane S. Zimbatti. The topic I chose this time is abortion. I will try to keep it as non-vitriolic uh, as possible. I know a lot of people are very sensitive about this topic. I just wanted to run by an argument or a series of arguments posed by Mary Ann Warren. She did On the Moral and Legal Status of Abortion. She does an overview on what she thinks counts as a moral being or a member of moral personhood, and she tries to define just what it is that makes you a moral agent and how you qualify for personhood in order to have a right to live. Her foundation for this is that there are two senses of a human being, a genetic sense, where you're simply a member of Homo sapiens, and then a moral sense, one in which someone is a member of the moral community. She, of course, recognizes that fetuses are genetically persons, that they are genetically a member of Homo species. Now, what she attacks is that they are not a moral member of the species. She says that they fall short of being a moral member of the species by not fulfilling the criteria of being a full-fledged person. She says that they do not resemble enough of a person to be one. I'd argue that, well, we don't resemble a bunch of atoms flying around either, but it doesn't mean that we're not a bunch of atoms coming in and going out. So a resemblance of something doesn't mean that you aren't really something actually, and that we may not know, but she further explains what she means. So, there is another supposition in this that the fetus is not a person or cannot resemble a person enough to be one or be a part of the moral community. Now, like I said earlier, it's hard to say what resembles or counts as a person, because we make up our own criteria. So, we'll go through the criteria of what it is to be a person. Persons contain within them a sense of consciousness, of knowing what is what and discerning on reality. They have the capacity to reason. They have intentions. They are self-motivated. They have a sense of self and being. They can interrelate things together. They have the capacity to communicate. They have concepts, concepts of self and their place in the world, and they also form arguments on things. Now, to go over genetics, it does count genetically to be a member of Homo sapiens, but does this supply it with a rational potential to think of it as moral? Can genetics supply the potential for morality? Is the sense of right and wrong imbued into the genetic code already? And in a sense, it is carrying a moral foundation, although not manifested in the mind which of course is not accessible by us, nor can we really determine if we can try six-year-olds as adults, because we don't have access empirically to what they understand morally. Now, I kind of had the feeling that I was a moral agent at the age of five. I felt like I knew the repercussions of my actions and I was morally responsible. I had a sense, I had a mind that knew. And I don't know that just simply being alive to any capacity will give you some sort of sense at all, or a potential. And we'll, of course, go over what the potentials are. And once you are at moral capacity and you are functioning morally, we often treat criminals as not having the, the liberty or right to life because we have performed countless executions and we have demarcation material for determining who has a right to life even though you are a full-fledged person and you are not insane. I don't know how far to go on moral intent, but it seems like there's many justifiable actions that have gone on in the course of human history that other people think are not justifiable moral actions, and that they're actually immoral, and that actually they may constitute a sort of criminality against humanity. 
but you see there is a moral membership that is going on, and this is concerning that which we supply to certain beings and whether or not they are actually persons, because killing a person is immoral, therefore we don't do it, but if they are not a person, therefore it's not immoral. We wouldn't know whether a baby is conscious of itself or when it is. When it comes screaming into the world, is that it? It seems like it's aware of something at that point. Is it when it crosses the barrier of the womb and vagina? When do we know it starts reasoning? At what year? Some agents don't reason much at all if the, the, the defect, the mental defect of some person might be severe enough that we don't know that they're reasoning very much at all that we wouldn't have access to that, but we do not get rid of these people or, or uh, submit to euthanasia to some extent, that our moral justifications would, would be demarcated towards other agents that are already, quote, persons. Some people are not communicative until a while. Some babies, it's not till they're three that they start communicating, although sometimes these babies are the, the most rational, the most developed consciousnesses that we have. Sometimes they're genius. So to look upon any entity or developmental stage in life that consists and that we can observe that they consist of all these different criteria and what constitutes personhood, that if they don't have it, then they're not fully persons. But we know that there's many different types of people who do not fulfill all of these things immediately. And at what end do we approach their capacity to have some essence of personhood and judge whether or not they are enough person? When do we think of them as being enough of a person to have a right to life and how much of a right and who determines that if we are to assume that a baby is like an obliterated mind or that it's like a very smart robot that has a programmed capacity it would be in my view a false assumption because some things do not appear to have a right to life under their criteria that they are in essence living and that they're human but they're not exactly persons and that they do not qualify in some sense to be actually alive we go to court to figure out if someone is morally culpable but we're under the assumption that yes they are you're presumed innocent before guilty and it's actors in the world that understand moral intent and the ways of law and how to argue effectively these trained individuals attorneys or public defenders or whoever they may be or maybe you defend yourself but there isn't to some capacity of reasoning going on to protect individuals with assumed full personhood also marianne warren also mentions in her book imagine if we are on an alien planet and how do we determine if the quality of personhood exists for the beings we see on the planet? How do we address that? How do we determine if they're conscious in a way that gives them a right to life, in which they can have self-intentions enough to preserve themselves? Would I need to measure some brain waves? Would I need to demarcate if they're on a, a similar frequency or bandwidth of, of mind in order to tell if these creatures really count as being among personhood or a, a membership of personhood. It seems like creating all these categories and demarcation principles for saying this counts and this does not seems like an, a vain attempt to, uh, you know, tackle something that's inherently untackleable that if you have to draw any lines it's completely slippery and the slope is is almost vertical you can't you can't really get any footing on it you're just going to keep slipping around 
It would seem that many animals, or even the aliens we encounter on another planet, would have some sort of discernible way of organizing themselves and communicating to some extent in order to be alive, because most life does this in its own way, in that it doesn't create any rights to life for itself. It just does what it does and, and tries to protect itself. It's just like all other life, biologically, just like us, only we are deciding what the rights of other things are, and it itself decides on its own, but we don't have access to why it does so. We're projecting our own right to its own life outside of our sphere of influence, and we're doing so in the most immediate sphere, our own sphere, but to something that is not potentially personhood yet, although it is a potential person. And shouldn't a potential person have the right to be a potential person? That it has the capacity for reasoning, for participating in culture, for consciousness, and everything else. Well, what about the rights of the woman that's carrying the baby? Shouldn't they decide for themselves if they really want to protect the baby and be capable of doing so? Do they have the right to protect their own health in light of this, and their happiness, and their freedom? And in some cases, she has the right to protect her life. Maybe her life would be at stake carrying out a baby. That there is some factor in her health or in her history that would suggest that having a baby would be very taxing and difficult for her. But what part of the moral membership decides? Is it the immediate person concerning the life? Or is it the moral community, the greater community, that decides on what the rights are? Some people would decide what the potential person person's rights would be, but then there's other people trying to determine, no, this is what the potential person's rights are, and the moral community would differ. So there will always be somebody outside of a mor another moral community that will be a part of a community that will take care of the baby, that will keep the baby outlied, outside of the sphere of determination, that there will be rights granted and projected from outside of the ones that it's immediately concerning because there is a communal sense of right concerning life and that there is a kind of quality of moral justification that needs to happen for all of the members of a moral community to agree on what the membership criteria is. Do women have a right to carry out life and to not destroy the process of life on a desire or some other reason? Life exists for its own sake. It is driven to be itself unless there is something else in its way, in that it would give itself the right to life if it can, but there's other powers determining what the will of life is, saying, no, you cannot have life even though you are life. And who's to interject and say, no, I do. Of course, this is the biggest outrage to deny life from a living thing. Of course, there would be a will to interject and, and not go silently into that. And of course, there's a powerlessness there. And there's another agent that needs to have power that is able to protect. Because there is no way for them to do so. And that there's no will, perhaps or maybe no way or power to be able to rationally and with self-awareness be able to say, I want life, or to show you I want to live. It would seem like that becomes inherent at some point that that can be pointed to, but just what point would that be? I don't have any studies that or anything I could point to that would show at what point from conception onward does the growing potential person or entity have that sort of internal intent or power and how would it show us 
because it would seem at that point the self-determination and consciousness would be satisfied, that even a mother would not have the power to end a life because a life unto its own has more power than any other determination of will over it, that it should be free to have life. And that maybe the real authority is just the process of life itself wants to life. So it has a right onto its own, doesn't need another projection. That in itself, it is life, and it is above else, a right to itself, without a moral power, without a sense of personhood intact. It seems like we can't get to the very foundations of how we're supposed to approach how to grant something a right to be something, and that it's not latent in itself. We're treating it as if it's like a cultural construct or an instrumentality or process over time that with a certain amount of membership or some type of quality within a community that you consist in that grants you some sort of right by some other authority, like it's a club or that life is some sort of big clubhouse. But that we are big-time culture creators, and culture has become so much more complex as of recently, in that we are rational, intentional beings that are self-autonomous, and we have to use that to a great degree, and that we have some sort of causal power to ourselves. I just cannot tell you where exactly a fetus, out of the womb, and into infancy, when would that start to look more and more like itself has a right to something or that someone could say when something has more of a right to be something else and what that means because it seems like internally you become more who you are within a few weeks of being alive than any other point in time and that once you arrive on the scene you are developing at an increasingly rapid rate and then probably less and less so as as you get older Maybe life as a developmental will would give it more of a right from its inception than as it goes on. That deteriorates as you get older. Just a thought. I don't know. Everything develops, though. Everything is developing and everything's processing. And that the whole thing should not be categorized through these methods of demarcation, in my view. Would it be unjust to inflict your will upon something? that's completely helpless and defenseless and has maybe perhaps no moral agency or no sense of awareness of self, then maybe that alone is enough to say, well, if something is void of that, then maybe the justification for it is there because there needs to be justice in order to have justice and that if there's no moral agent there that can be outraged over such a decision on its own behalf, maybe the question of justice doesn't exist. That's just a thought, but in my personal view, I'll just say, I don't think abortions should happen. Maybe, just maybe within the first trimester because that's when it's earliest. And, and least developed and personhood-like. It does not resemble enough of something discernibly itself quite yet, even though it does develop very, very fast. I don't know. I'm willing to say no on it as well. But as, as long as we have souls that are willing to nurture life, I'd say let's just have life happen. And if it can't, then there should be a really good reason why the ending of the fetus should occur on the behalf of the woman or the community for that matter. I'm not one to always say, but we have the power nowadays to have all sorts of things happen and we can take care of what we need to, unless there's a power that cannot supply that. But I think we could always find a way. Well, this was a brief overview on the problem of, the, of what constitutes personhood and what has a right to life. And if we have a right to determine who has a right, it's one of these problems we just have to cover, I guess. <laughs> I don't 
want to have to go there all the, all the time or anything, but it's, it's certainly something to think about and what constitutes something, what constitutes personhood, what constitutes the right to determine if something has personhood or not. What is the nature of that? What is the nature of our development as people? And how do we decide what to do on behalf of ourselves in many various aspects that, I, that we've outlined and that Marianne Warren outlined in the essay on the moral and legal status of abortion? Well, thank you for turning into this episode. I will see you next time. Bye-bye.